This morning we are finishing up a teaching series we've been doing for the last few weeks that we've been calling Multiply. And uh, to help us do this, we've been looking at an Old Testament character called Abraham. And uh, really what we've been doing um, is really just observing the kind of path uh, that he took, the path that he walked, which was, a, was really a path of significance and multiplication. And, uh, and what, we, what we begin to realize as we've looked at his journey is, is that we see that we're called to walk a similar path. <laughs> Uh, that as men and women learning to follow Jesus, that we get to walk a similar path to this character, Abraham. Now, this theme of uh, multiplication is really at the heart of what we believe God's saying to us as a church family at the moment. We've just recently multiplied to two services here uh, in this building, and we, we just really feel that actually there's an invitation from God to us as a church, that, that as we... Um, Oh, I've suddenly gone all funny. As, is it, no? Is that fine? Is that good? Um, as, as we um, lean into this idea of multiplication, as we continue to grow and develop as a church, we believe the task isn't just to grow by addition, but the task is to grow through multiplication. That, that there's this growing realisation that when God's hand is in something, multiplication becomes our new normal. And so to finish up this series, uh, we're going to be in Genesis 22. Genesis chapter 22. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn there. Uh, I'd say this is the last week in this series. Next week, uh, a friend of mine's coming to speak, a guy called Mark Norwich, who leads uh, the Community Church Northampton. Uh, he's coming to speak next week. And then the week after, we'll be launching into a brand new teaching series. Now, the thing that we've seen about Abraham over the last few weeks is that he lived a life um, of being tested over and over again. There's this kind of reality that, um, that God was constantly saying, Abraham, do you believe me? Do you really trust me? Do you, do you re- are you really ready to follow me anywhere? You know, if you think about it, you know, God made this promise um, to Abraham, uh, and, um, and God said to him, you're going to be the father of nations, and, and you're gonna, I'm going to give you a land, with the, this promised land. And, and, and kind of the, my thinking is, why, why didn't God just do that immediately? Why didn't he just immediately give them the son that they longed for? Why didn't he immediately just whisk them off to the promised land? Instead, Abraham goes on this journey with God, Uh, where he and his wife have to wait like 30 or 40 years um, for this this promise to happen, for for this son to be born. I don't know if any of us can sense the reality of that. You know, waiting for 30 years, wondering when's it going to happen. You know, I get annoyed when my Starbucks takes more than three minutes to arrive. But he had to wait 30, 30 years. And he, and he had to wait through continued discouragement and heartbreak and setbacks. And then every now and again, God's saying, do this. So why is that an important concept to grasp? Why, why should we think that that's, that's, that's important? Well, here's what I think. 
Whenever God wants to take us somewhere, the important thing is, is often not the destination. The, imp- the important thing isn't always the fulfillment of the promise. Often the most important thing is who we are and what we're becoming in, in the process. See, what God is doing in us is just as important as what God wants to do through us, if that makes sense. And so in, in, in many ways, we get to chapter 22 of Genesis, and, and everything that God has been doing in Abraham's life actually is the thing that shapes his response uh, in, in what's about to happen uh, in, in this chapter. Uh, and so we get to chapter 22, Abram and Sarah have had their miracle baby, Isaac, who, whose name literally means son of laughter. And, 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 and it's kind of because there's this irony attached to the fact that here are Abram and Sarah, this doddery old couple in their hundreds. I don't know how many couples you know in their hundreds, but I imagine they were quite frail. And um, here they are, finally uh, fulfilling this promise of a child. And so Genesis 22 and verse 1, it says, it says this, after these things, or after what all that had happened, after everything they'd been through, after the birth, the final birth of their promised son, and after this son had, had reached the age of about 15, after all these things had happened, it says, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, And Abraham replies, and he says, here am I. Now, here am I is not a Hebrew word for hello. Um, It's actually more than that. It's about saying, I'm standing here ready to receive your command. You know, it's it's kind of like someone having their marching orders. And, And so his response is, here am I. Now, if I'm honest, Abraham's response is, is a little bit remarkable. Considering every time God has called Abraham to this point, it seems he's asked him to do something um, that takes him away from something that was good, or he's, he, he asked him to go and do something that's difficult. And, and so if, if I was Abraham in this situation, um, I think I'd be like, oh no, you know, it's God. What's he going to ask me this time? You know, there's that, that kind, of, kind of reality. But yet Abraham is like, here am I. Uh, and really, he's, he's in that position because, as we've been saying over the last few weeks, he's been on a journey of learning. He's been on this journey of learning to trust. He's been on this lear- journey of learning to prioritize and, and put his security in God. And so Abraham was able to respond that way because he trusted God. And so then it says this in verse 2. He says, it says take, God speaks and he says, Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Not the greatest verse to share when you've got a child dedication. Um, and it's the firstborn. Um, and actually, what God is suggesting here kind of sounds unthinkable. You know, this is the promised 
child. He represents everything that has been promised to Abraham. This is, this is what they left their, their home for and began this new life, this journey with God. All their hopes and dreams center around this child. And God says, offer him up as a burnt offering. Now, I know we're all thinking, it's like, how could God do that? You know, how could God ask someone to do this? And I'll try and deal with that in a moment. But for now, I want us to think about what does this request mean for us? Well, this request for us, it might represent something in our lives. It might represent the thing that we treasure and trust the most in life. The one thing that makes our whole life worth living. It could be the security of a, of, of a particular job or a relationship. It could be uh, the things that we've spent years and years of our lives investing in. And, and, and we get to a point where we're going to lose it. And I don't know about you, if the thought of losing that thing, it could leave us speechless or, or devastated. And, and in many ways, that's the, the kind of feeling in this moment. What, what, what's being asked is there's this sense of loss, this sense of devastation. But then it says this in verse 3. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Now, I don't know about you, if God had asked me to do something like this and I had to wait three days to do it, I might have had second thoughts. I might have thought, you know what, maybe it was the... It was the pizza I ate last night. It wasn't really God speaking. I'm just hallucinating or, 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 or something like that. But often, you know, faith is not just shown in our initial response, is it? You know, it's easy to be in a church service like this and respond to God. The real test of faith is, is, is what we do on Tuesday or what we do on Wednesday and, and, and you see, you know, you know we, can, we can make a commitment to something, but actually the, the true reality of that commitment is, is are we still committed, it, committed to it in three days' time? And, and, and maybe some of us are here this morning, and, and, and we know that to be true of us. We know that to be true of where we find ourselves in this season. Maybe God has has called us to do certain things. Maybe God's called us to break up a, an unhealthy relationship. And, 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 and we've done that, but we're thinking, did I do the right thing? Maybe, maybe God's given us a, a ministry assignment, but that assignment isn't as fruitful as we hoped. And we're starting to get a little bit impatient. Maybe we felt led to make a, a financial sacrifice and things have got hard in the process. And we're, and we're kind of mad at God because we're thinking, you know, I've sacrificed and now I'm missing out on, on, on what everybody else is doing. But you see, faith is not just exhibited in our initial yes. 
Real faith is revealed, you know, three days later. When we're still prepared to say yes when things have got a little bit harder. When we've still prepared to say yes when we've processed it a little bit and thought, oh, if I do this, this is going to happen. Are we still willing to say yes uh, in that process? And then it says this in, ver- in verse 5. He says, He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey whilst I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, the language is interesting here. He uses the word we. He says, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham was convinced that somehow they were both coming back. That, that God had made a promise, and that promise was going to be fulfilled. Now, now, Abraham didn't know how that would work out, but he knew it would work. And so it says this in verse 6, Abraham took the wood uh, for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them uh, went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father Abraham, Father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? He's He's kind of like, one, two, uh, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And, I, and Abraham says, is God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told, told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out uh, his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So let's take a moment to think about that question. Why on earth would God ask a father to do this? See, this is not just a command to murder. If it was a command to murder, then Abraham could have got up in the middle of the night and murdered his son whilst he slept in his tent. Something much deeper is going on. Tim Keller, who um, is a pastor in the States, he says this. He says, if Abram had thought God had told him, kill Sarah, and then I know you'll love me, he would never have done that. He would have concluded that he was hallucinating because God would not command senseless murder like that. And God would, would not have said it because it would have been murder. But when God said, offer Isaac, Abraham knew exactly what that meant the firstborn. It represents his very life and the debt every man owes to God. You see, the offering of the firstborn, the first fruits of our life um, in the Old Testament symbolizes the debt a person owes to God. That throughout the Old Testament, God lay claim to to the firstborn because it represented our very lives. And, you know, for Abraham, it's, it's what he's put all his hope in, all his trust in, all his hope for the future is in this child. And God requires a sacrifice. In the Hebrew sacrificial system that follows, God required the firstborn of cattle and sheep uh, to be sacrificed to him. Or the first fruits of, of crops or grain, all to be brought to him. 
And you see, in this moment, that's why Abraham understood what God was asking him to do. That he wasn't just saying, commit murder, Abraham. He was saying, take all that's precious to you, the very first, the very best of what's precious to you, and offer it to me. And so with the knife suspended in in the air, the angel of the Lord steps in, in verse 11. The angel of the Lord called out to, uh, to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. See, Abraham proved himself and he passed the test. He, he showed that, he, that there was nothing that he wouldn't trust God with. There's, there's nothing he wouldn't withhold uh, from God. And as he does that, it says in verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of, of the Lord, it will be provided. And you see, centuries later, another son, another one and only son who a father loves, walked up a mountain. But this time, however, the knife wasn't stopped in midair. In fact, this, this time the knife would slash straight through the heart of Jesus. And you know, the interesting thing about the mountains of Moriah was that they were right outside Jerusalem, where, where many scholars tell us the mountains of Calvary would have been. In other words, more, more than a thousand years after Abraham and his son enacted this moment of sacrifice, Jesus would walk up the very same mountains. But this time there'd be no substitutional lamb because he himself was the lamb God provided. The lamb that took away the sins of the world. You know, he was the sacrifice willing to stay on the altar as the father plunged the knife of of justice for our sin into his chest. And because of that, we now have access to the father. And since the father was willing not to withhold anything, not even his son, so that we could know him. You see, this story, first and foremost, isn't about Abraham's commitment to God, but God's commitment to to Abraham. That's why the mountain is called the Lord will provide, not Abraham was obedient. (coughs) See, when it's all said and done, when we look back over our lives, the things that will stand out the most aren't our great sacrifices, but the fact that God is faithful to us in every way. 
It says in verse 15, it says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from, from heaven a second time, and he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, because you have done this and are not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Because Abraham obeyed God, God multiplied his life like the stars in the sky. And I don't know if you realize this, but you're one of those stars. Those of us who sit in rooms like this every week are fulfillment of that promise. Because Jesus obeyed, we're able to enter into a relationship with God. And by extension of that, because we obey, others are able to enter into that relationship as well. Our faith and obedience are a means by which God multiplies us on the earth. And here's the thing that's kind of mind-blowing. If we are obedient, in, in, in our obedience, it means others get to enter into the kingdom through our acts of obedience. And so I just want to finish up with just asking you all a couple of questions, okay? We've seen this, um, we've seen this story. We've seen how Abraham responds. And what are the implications for us? We're not going to do anything weird. We're not going to ask you to bring your firstborn in now or anything like that. Um, that would make us a cult, and it's only our name that makes us sound like a cult so far. So um, we're not going to do that. But here's the first, first question. Do we understand what God has done? See, Christianity, or following Jesus, or however you want to phrase it, is not primarily about how we must obey. But primarily it's about what God has done. That Jesus is the son who obeyed perfectly, who would die in our place so we could go free. It's a real simple message, isn't it? And all we have to do, we're told in the process, is believe something and receive it. That's all we have to do. That's, that's, that's our end of the deal. And so the question is, do we fully understand that? Do we fully grasp what has taken place? And if we do, or if we don't, or if we're still considering it, the kind of follow-on question to that is, is if, if we do fully grasp at what God has done, are we fully surrendered in all things to him as a result? In response to what God has done, have we offered ourselves back as living sacrifices to him? Now, I've, I've heard lots of people preach on this passage um, over the years. 
And, and one of the things they might do is get you to identify your Isaac. Has any, anybody heard that? You know, we've all got an Isaac to identify. What if I said God didn't need your Isaac? <laughs> what does God need from any of us? He's the God of the universe. He doesn't need anything from us, does he? Actually, the thing that seems to be a requirement of the, the New Testament is, is that we give him our lives. <laughs> that we, we give him everything. And, and in the process of giving him everything, that might include our Isaacs. <laughs> and you know, our Isaacs might represent the things that stop us from actually being fully surrendered to him. And so it's not a case of God needs something from us because he's hard up and he's, you know, he's no longer the God of the universe who has everything in his hands or anything like that. that. That isn't the case. The point isn't God needs our Isaac. The point is that he requires every single part of our lives. That, and, and, and so when we respond to what he's done, when we, we, when we hear the gospel, the good news of what he's done, then, then our only response is to surrender every single part of our lives and, and offer it back to him without restriction. It's like signing a blank check and saying, okay, God, over to you. It's yours. And you see, that I, when I was preparing for this Sunday, I thought, I'm going to talk about sacrifice. That's what I'm going to do. I'm talking about sacrifice. And, and actually, the more I prepared, uh, the more I realized this, this isn't a story simply about sacrifice. And actually, this isn't a story simply about obedience. But actually, it's a story about surrender. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, we can make big sacrifices... And still stay in control, can't we? We can be obedient to laws, God's law, and still not be fully surrendered. We can act like good Christians every Sunday morning. But we can still have Isaacs that God is still not in charge of. You see, surrender takes sacrifice and obedience to a whole different level. It takes it to a whole different place. It means taking all I have and all I am and all I'll ever be and surrendering it to him. Giving it all to him. Surrender is like a dye that bleeds through everything. Now, it's affected by sacrifice, and it's affected by obedience. But it also takes us to a deeper level. See, it's a bit like bacon and eggs. You know, a chicken and an egg contribute to breakfast. But a pig has to be fairly surrendered. And you see, surrender is a response 
to a great, uh, from a grateful heart. That when we see all that God has done, when we see all that he's given us, then we, we don't hold back. We don't hold back anything. We just say, okay, God, it's, it's all yours. You can have it all. And you see, this whole series has been about being a people, being a community that is learning to figure out what it means to multiply. What it means to take what we have and say, God, come and multiply it. Come and, come and increase it. And what we've been doing is just been thinking about what characterises people who see multiplication as a normal part of life. They're people who follow, not knowing what the outcome looks like. They're people who trust. They're people who rearrange their priorities and say, God, it's, it's your kingdom first. And ultimately, it's people who are surrendered, surrendered to God. And you see, it's, it's in that place of surrender that we learn to trust in a whole new way. We learn to say, God, it's over to you. I've been holding on to this thing. This thing has captured my affection. But actually, God, this, it's, it's over to you. Andrew Murray says this, God is ready to assume full responsibility for a life wholly yielded to him. See, when we surrender to him, he catches us, he picks us up. 